Well, we are uh, starting a new mini-series, sermon series this morning, called Mission Mindset. We're going to be looking at some of the great sermons and incidents in the life of the Apostle Paul on his three missionary journeys. Today we've got the first missionary journey, next week the second, and then uh, two weeks from now the third missionary journey. Uh, we've got a little bit of a longer text today, so unless you are an Olympic-level listener, you probably want to follow along in Acts chapter 13. Uh, we also want to, I know Dave gave a plug for the new Sunday school class. I also want to give a plug for the read through the whole Bible Sunday school class. Uh, it's taught by me and Pastor Dave and some of our elders and other teachers. And uh, I'm not saying that there are other churches that have a former stand-up comedian teaching through the book of Leviticus. Uh, but if there are, you tell me about them, okay? This morning we went through the book of Numbers. And many of you might be thinking, man, the book of Numbers, well, boy, what a boring book. You know, a bunch of numbers. It was incredible. We live in a very wilderness time, amen? And what a joy to be reminded in that class that God is with us in the wilderness, and that and many other things were my takeaways this morning. So come, both classes are awesome. Bring your kids to Children's Sunday School. Exciting. Well, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 13. Again, longer passage, but you'll notice that there are really three scenes in the book. In scene one, Paul and Barnabas are called to gospel ministry. In scene two, Paul and Barnabas head off to Cyprus. They meet this crazy guy named Bar-Jesus. We'll talk about him. And then later on, they go encounter a group of Jewish people, and they preach the gospel to them using a lot of references to the Old Testament. So you'll see as we make our way through this passage, those three scenes, which will help kind of anchor your thoughts as we make our way through this passage. Well, let's get started. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here's scene two. So seeing, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. 
immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, scene three. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of the people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during the stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God sent them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers and sisters, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him and did not understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it was written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, he will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he'd served his, the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leaning men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the gospel of our salvation. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might see the glories of your unstoppable kingdom. Hear our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I read an article on the Gospel Coalition called Letter from a Teenage Anti-Christian Skeptic. It was written by Randy Newman, the evangelist, not the singer. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth quoting at length. Here's what Newman writes. He writes, I've spent more than half of my life in evangelistic ministry. I've seen God at work in ways that can only be described as utterly miraculous. I've sat face to face with atheists, agnostics, people of other faiths, and young adults struggling with all sorts of things. I've heard many expressions of unbelief, like this letter written by a 17-year-old student to a friend. The student writes, you ask me my religious views, you know, I think, that I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them, and from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. All religions, that is, all mythologies, to give them their proper name, are merely man's own invention. 
Superstition, of course, in every age has held the common people, but in every age the educated and thinking ones have stood outside it. I am not going to go back to the bondage of believing in any old and already decaying superstition. Newman continues, you should know that this letter could have been written by thousands or even maybe millions of people today. But you should also know that the letter was written by C.S. Lewis, the one who called himself the most reluctant convert. For every parent, pastor, or friend of someone experiencing the thoughts of those of 17-year-old Lewis, be reminded and encouraged. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Lewis's conversion story, among many others like it in history, is an inspiring reminder no one is so lost that God cannot find rescue and redeem them. No one who is currently skeptical about, disinterested in, or openly hostile to Christ is beyond his transforming reach. Today's Saul could be tomorrow's Paul. Today's YouTube atheist influencer could be tomorrow's leading voice in apologetics. Today's deconstructing teenager could be the next generation's C.S. Lewis. This morning, we're starting a new three-part mini-series, as I mentioned, called Missionary Mindset. In this series, we're going to look at three scenes from the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, missionary in the history of the Christian church. Our journey will begin where our last series ended in the Roman province of Galatia, where we will be reminded that God's kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Not demons, not disagreements, not deserters, not diseases, not disasters. Paul experienced all of these things on the first missionary journey and so much more, and yet he kept preaching, he kept teaching, and one by one, people came to faith in Jesus Christ. They saw the glories of God, and they were saved. As many as were appointed unto eternal life believed. God's kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. Next week, we'll travel to Mars Hill, where we'll see that our God is a knowable God. You can know God. You can talk to God. You can have a relationship with God. God makes himself known in nature, in the glories of the world around us. God makes himself known in the pages of Scripture. God makes himself known most clearly in the face of Jesus Christ, his Son, who died and rose again so that sinners like us might see the glorious love of God shining in the face of Jesus, his crucified and resurrected Son. Finally, in two, week three of our series, we'll travel to Ephesus, where Paul will preach the gospel to a group of Christians, the Ephesian elders, delivering a tearful and hopeful farewell address to an ordinary church with an extraordinary mission. We'll see through 
Paul's preaching the gospel to the Ephesian elders that God's church is an unbreakable church because God's church is rooted and grounded in love. The love of Christ for sinners like us. Along, we'll see, along the way that we will see that the gospel is for the lost, the gospel is for the found, the gospel is for Jews, the gospel is for Gentiles, the gospel is for deeply religious people, and the gospel is for deeply irreligious people. The gospel is good news for everyone who believes. When you understand that, you'll begin to develop a mission mindset, a confident, joyful commitment to gospel ministry where God's perfect love compels us to make disciples of all nations, even as it enables and empowers us to do so. Beginning here, but never stopping here, as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to Japan and Malaysia and Israel, and Uganda, and Eastern Europe, and Western Europe, and New York, and Los Angeles, and Chicago, and Brownsville, and East Hill, and Gulf Breeze, and all points in between. David, Living David Livingston once said that God only had one son, and he made him a missionary. In other words, to have a missionary mindset is to have the mind of Christ who came to seek and save the lost, adopting sinners and skeptics and scoundrels into the family of God. So where do we begin? We begin with Paul's first missionary journey, a journey that took him from Syrian Antioch to Pisidian Antioch. A journey that, that started in a church and ended in a synagogue. A journey that shows us that the kingdom of God is and always has been an unstoppable kingdom. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. First, we'll see that God advances his kingdom through missionaries. God advances his kingdom through missionaries. Second, we'll see that God advances his kingdom through miracles. Third, we'll see that God advances his kingdom through messes. And finally, we'll see that God advances his kingdom through messages. The message of the gospel. Missionaries, miracles, messes, and messages. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Let's begin. We begin with missionaries. God advances his kingdom through missionaries. Verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Missionaries are God's frontline workers. In many cases, they put their lives 
on the line. In many cases, they put their, their careers and their families on hold so they can go to places that many of us would never want to go to reach people who may never have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's why we have so much love and respect for our missionary partners. They have a calling that is so unique. It's challenging. It's thrilling. It's often unpredictable. So how should we think about missionaries? I know many of us are not called to full-time overseas missions. Does that mean that we don't have a part to play in the mission of the church? Are only missionaries called to preach the gospel? And how do you even become a missionary? Is there a website? Do you text somebody and say, I want to join the mission of God? Well, a couple of observations are in order as we think about how God uses missionaries to advance the unstoppable kingdom of God. The first observation is that missionaries are not the only ones who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, we are all called to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations is not for a select few. It's for all Christians to hear that message and do God's work. Just look at the diversity in the church in Antioch. We have Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Both of them were Jewish. We have Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is Latin for black, so we assume that he was, he was African. We have Lucius, he was a Libyan. We have Menean, who was a close friend of Herod, meaning he was probably a very wealthy person, certainly a very well-connected person. The question is, how did all these people end up in the same church? The answer is evangelism. The people at the church had a missionary mindset They all went out and shared the gospel with all different types of people. Many different people heard. Many different people believed. And then some of these same people joined the church. Here's the encouraging thing. This is not a one-off special event that happened once in the Bible and never again. It can happen over and over and over again. If we tell people about Jesus, if we learn to think and act like missionaries in our own community, many people will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, many people will be saved, and some of those very same people will join this local church. So be encouraged as you carry out the mission of God. Now, the second observation is that missionaries are called. Missionaries have a unique calling from God. Now, in this passage, we're told that both Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, had a very unique calling from God in the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, came and spoke in an audible voice calling them to this missionary work. Now, there's nothing in the text that suggests that we should continue to expect to hear the audible voice of God, but nevertheless, missionaries do have a divine calling. And that divine calling is not a private calling that they have simply within themselves. That calling is also confirmed by the local church. The elders confirmed Paul and Barnabas' calling by laying their hands on them. That's an Old Testament practice that signifies they were identifying with them. 
They're saying, we are with you and sending you and with you in spirit wherever it is that you go. Mission work is always a work of the local church. And so if you sense that God might be calling you to be a missionary, and I hope God calls many of you to be missionaries, after praying, after considering God's call in your life, your next step is to come to the church. Come to me, come to Pastor David, come to Sean, come to our elders, come to someone on our missionary team and express to them your desire to become a missionary in the kingdom of God. If your call is confirmed, we will gladly lay our hands on you and partner with you and send you out as we support you financially and in prayer and through cards and letters and visits. Missions is always connected to the local church. We are called by God. We're sent by the church. The third observation is that missionaries are called to reach unreached people. Now that, now that might mean that you are called to an American city where there are unreached people. Uh, it might mean that you are called to an American college campus to reach uh, unreached people. You might be called to one of the first nations to preach the gospel to Native American people within the borders of the United States. But it also means, as it did for Paul and Barnabas, leaving home, moving to a new country, learning a new language, perhaps familiarizing yourself with a totally different culture so that you can make disciples and plant churches in places where people don't know Jesus at all. Often in our completely legitimate quest to reach our closest neighbors, we forget that God calls many, many people to overseas, cross-cultural, foreign mission work. And because that's the case, it is our calling to support our missionaries who are called to that very difficult work. Again, we support them financially. We support them in prayer with cards, letters, contacts. We are part, that communication and connection is so very important. If you are not supporting foreign missionaries sent out by our church, start today. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. The, third, the fourth observation is that missionaries should be our best and our brightest. Who did the Holy Spirit call to do this missionary work? Did he call the JV squad? Did he call the B team? Did he call people that they were kind of hoping to get rid of any, anyway? No. He called the two most prominent members of the church, Paul and Barnabas. When we send out our missionaries, we need to send our best and our brightest people. That's hard. Because those are the people we want to keep around. Amen? Some of you people, I would be glad to buy you a one-way ticket to South America or wherever you want to go. You know, go mission to people somewhere. Never come back, you know. But that's not what God does. He sends the best and the brightest and the most mature and the pillars of the church because it's important. Day after day after day, people are dying not knowing who Jesus is. What a tragedy. And so we send 
our special forces units, the best and the brightest, all around the world to preach the gospel where the name of Jesus is not known so that many, many people will come to him in faith and receive the gift of everlasting, abundant life, which is freely available to all who believe. Why do we have a missions budget at Pinewoods? Why do we ask you to fill out those cards every year? Why do we have a conference every year? Because the kingdom of God advances through missionaries. The second thing, God advances his kingdom through miracles. Now, I won't reread you the whole story, but do you remember what happened? After being commissioned by the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went over to Seleucia, which was about 16 miles away. Then they set sail for the tiny island of Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas started off in the synagogues trying to convince the Jewish people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Then they encountered a strange man named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or perhaps son of the Savior. It does not mean bizarro Jesus, which is what I thought when I was nine years old. I imagined a guy with a backwards J on his shirt. I watched a lot of uh, cartoons when I was a kid, but I digress. Now, Bar-Jesus was also known as Eliamus, which means the magician. He was a magician, not in the sense of an illusionist, but in the sense of a sorcerer, practitioner of the dark arts. We're also told that he was a false prophet, which means he was doing these demonic things in the name of the living God, which is very, very bad. Now, in the story, this uh, guy, Bar-Jesus, advised another man named Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent government official, which is perhaps the first miracle in the story. <laughs> but I'm bum ching Sergius Paulus wanted to hear all about Jesus, Paul started preaching, Bar-Jesus kept interrupting, and then Paul, utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit, struck Bar-Jesus blind. Which is why, if you've not yet done so, you want to turn your phone to vibrate right now. You never want to interrupt when somebody's trying to preach, okay? That's, I'm not saying that for me, I'm saying that for you. Now, here's the truly amazing thing. Sergius Paulus sees this miraculous work of God, and he becomes a Christian. And not only does he become a Christian, we have archaeological records that have been discovered from that time period. His whole family becomes a Christian, and the family remains a Christian for two or three generations. They become part of the local church. In the first miracle, a seeing man went blind, and in the second miracle a blind man was enabled to see. And ironically, the second miracle, the conversion of Sergius Paulus, is the greater of the two miracles because there's no greater miracle than the miracle of God's grace. There's no greater miracle than the miracle of faith. There's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. God advances his kingdom through miracles. He might not always strike someone with blindness. He might not always turn water into wine. But every single time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is a miracle of God's grace. 
Do you want to see the miraculous power of God? Have you ever thought, oh man, I wish I could see God doing something like this? Go tell somebody about Jesus and see what happens. You will see a miracle of God's grace. Third thing, God advances his kingdom through messes. Verse 13 Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, also known as John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. John, also known as John Mark or simply Mark, was Barnabas's cousin. He wrote the Gospel according to Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament, very important person in the life of the church. Now, we don't know exactly what happened here. Maybe he got sick. There's some suggestion that maybe he got malaria. Paul talks about being sick when, and when he was preaching to the church in Galatia, so maybe that was it. It could also be that he was just homesick. He saw the journey ahead, and he just wanted to go back home. But whatever happened, he abandoned the mission so that he could go home early. Now, in Acts 15, we're told that Paul and Barnabas were getting ready, ready to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas, who was John Mark's cousin, wanted to give him a second chance, and Paul said, I don't think so. Listen, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're not bringing that guy again. And so, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. John Mark was essentially the Yoko Ono of the the New Testament. He broke up the missionary beetles. Did that stop the mission? No. Do our messes stop the mission of God? No, absolutely not. Why? Because it's not ultimately about you. God will use you, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about the gospel of God's grace. It's about Jesus. It's about the Spirit. You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4? One of my favorite passages. He writes, But we have this gospel treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, God is in the business of drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. You don't have to be perfect to talk to people about Jesus. In fact, if you think you're perfect, maybe you don't want to talk to people about Jesus You need to come to church and confess your sins. You don't have to be perfect to be a missionary. You just need to have a missionary mindset, a desire to tell everyone the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross to save sinners like you and me. Fourth thing, last one, God advances his kingdom through messages. Specifically, God advances his kingdom through the message of the gospel. According to the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the Son of God, the hope of Israel, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and the Savior of everyone who believes. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, verse 38, let it be known to you therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the laws of Moses. Those of you who were with us during Galatians, Galatians, do you hear the echoes? We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what he has done for us. That is, in a nutshell, the message of the gospel. Jesus is the greater Moses. He delivers us from slavery and oppression. Jesus is the greater David, the sinless king who rules over an everlasting kingdom of peace and harmony and joy. Because of Jesus, there is freedom and forgiveness for everyone who believes. Now, sometimes people hear that gospel message and they get very angry about it. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, which is great. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Sometimes people hear the gospel message and they're overcome with joy. Verse 48 And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. What's the difference? I I think our friend Paul, our friend Luke, Dr. Luke, gives us a clue at the end of verse 48 when he writes, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. See, when it comes to preaching and teaching the gospel, when it comes to having a missionary mindset, we present timeless gospel truths. We talk about sin, we talk about salvation, we talk about the cross, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about faith and hope and love. We present those truths, those timeless truths, in timely ways. We contextualize. You'll notice that Paul preaches very different sermons to Jewish audiences than he preaches to pagan audiences. We'll see that next week as he preaches to the, uh, the people at Mars Hill. So he contextualizes in a biblically faithful way, and so do we. But then we leave the results up to God. As many as were appointed unto eternal life believed. We tell people about Jesus, and if God decides today is the day, then there's nothing we can do to stop people from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And I will say to you, if today is your day to repent, if today is your day to believe, if today is your day to stop running and stop resisting and stop rebelling and stop having one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world, if today is your day, I say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come to him in faith and you will be saved. This is the message of the gospel It's simple, and yet it's so incredibly profound. It is shallow enough, as the writer says, for children to play. It's deep enough for the elephant to swim. There's nothing more profound and life-changing than the message of the gospel, the message of God's grace. God's kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. He advances that kingdom using missionaries. He advances that kingdom using miracles. He advances that kingdom uses 
using messes. He advances that kingdom using the message of Jesus Christ. The simple, glorious truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Him. When you get that, when you look at the world as people who might be saved, it completely changes your attitude. Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Would you like to be filled with joy? Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sensing the very presence of God? It starts with a missionary mindset. It starts with the unstoppable kingdom of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your kingdom, which is glorious. We thank you that you have invited us to become part of that kingdom. And Lord, the fact that we are able to do some of the work of the kingdom is absolutely mind-blowing. And yet we thank you for that great privilege. We pray, Father, that we would, even beginning this week, this very day, begin to develop a mission mindset that many, many people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would come to you in faith, and that they too would have everlasting life. This is all you're doing And so we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.